Price, your host of The Cell. I invite you to listen to our program every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. I would also like to thank you for listening to Community Radio on WGRN LP 94.1 FM, Columbus. I'd like to welcome our listeners back, and I hope everyone is being safe out there. We have a full house today. We have as our guests, Brent and Debbie Steele, and they will be sharing their journey in raising their two kids, Daniel and Myrna. Both Daniel and Myrna had sickle cell disease, and they both passed from complications due to this chronic blood disorder. We also have with us Denise Payne, who is a relative of Brent and Debbie's. We have Rose Marie Simmons, who works at the American Red Cross. My co-hosts today are Stephanie and Tish from the Faith Thomas Foundation. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Hello. Hi. Brent and Debbie was blessed with two kids, Daniel and Myrna, and they're going to share with us their journey in regards to raising kids with sickle cell and unfortunately losing two kids to sickle cell. So, Brent or Deborah, you guys can go first. I'm Brent. I was first to find that I had sickle cell at, I would say, the age of 13 to 15. There was a test going around in southwest Michigan, where I'm from, and it was a free test. And me and my brother and a couple friends were working together, and I took the test. I was the only one found with the test positive that day. Didn't have a clue what it meant, what it was about, or nothing. Found out I had sickle cell trait, and that's all I knew until years later and that's where i started and then we carried on and and we got married debbie had to be tested but at that time there was no finding that debbie had sickle cell and so there was no reason to have anything more to do with it and that's where we started brent what year was that in when you found out that you had sickle cell probably 1960 something How did you guys find out that both of you carried a particular trait? I'm Debbie, and our son was sick quite a bit with this pain that nobody knew um, what the issues were or how his pains were coming. And then a day or so later, he would be fine. They didn't know. And one day, he was crawling on the floor, and Brent and I decided it was time for him to go to another doctor, so we took him to an immediate care to try to find out something because it was on a Sunday. And when I walked in, um, this doctor came towards me and said, you don't know me, but does your son have sickle cell? And I told him no. And he says, the reason I'm asking is because I am a doctor at Grady and I work with sickle cell patients. And he looks like sickle, like he's in a crisis. I explained to him several that we've that Daniel and Myrna and myself had been tested numerous times and we've all came back negative and he said that is because they only test for sickle cell anemia and S trait so let me do a full panel and find out and he said if you have any other children to bring them here so I called Brent told him to bring Myrna to the immediate care so that we could get tested again. And um, sure enough, I came back with the C-trait, and Daniel and Myrna both came back positive for sickle cell SC disease. I would like to share with our listeners that their story sounds, it's almost like my story replicates their story. 
um, because me and my husband both didn't know anything until our daughter was born. And then they basically said the same thing. He has the S trait. I have a C trait. I was saying, no, y'all don't know what y'all are talking about. Same way that you did, uh, Debbie, and after the whole family went and got tested, you know, our world got turned upside down. How did both Daniel and Myrna live? How did y'all go about, you know, ensuring that they had a full life? They never knew the meaning of no. They were very competitive. We are a very competitive family, and we turned anything into competition. I mean, that's just the way we were. I played softball. Brett played football with in high school, and he, uh, you know, we played basketball and football and softball in the yard with the kids and the neighbor kids. So we. Everything was a competition for us. Even getting dressed in the morning was a competition. We, everything was just a competition. And we taught the kids, and they taught us, that um, mm-hmm. there's no such thing as no. Sickle cell is not going to define us. We're going to define sickle cell in our way. And it was, um, it was really amazing how the kids just took to it. And when they would have a crisis, I'll be fine in a couple of days, and right back at it again they would go, whatever they chose. My name is Stephanie. I am one of the co-hosts today. Um, I actually have sickle cell traits, um, and to this day I feel like a lot of people really don't have a lot of information essentially on sickle cell traits, and I think there's, like, new research coming out. Um, but how how did you guys just support your kids just when they had crisis and how, how was their life changed? How did they took that, like, head on um, just fighting the disease? Well, they, since they were very active in sports until Daniel couldn't play baseball anymore, they knew that they had to drink a lot of water. That was the one thing that the doctor had stressed. Fluids, fluids, and fluids, and when you think you've had enough, you need to continue drinking water. So we just basically, with Daniel, his... Some crises were different than Myrna's. Daniel's were in the joint. Myrna's was completely internal. So when Daniel would have a crisis, we need to give him Motrin, give him plenty of fluid. Daniel was only in the hospital twice with his sickle cell. So we basically knew what we needed to do with Daniel. He was never on morphine. He was never on anything stronger than... um, Motrin. So he was, he was, if you can say it for a better word, he was easier to handle than Myrna because we never knew with Myrna what her issues were going to be. She had a stroke, which left her deaf in her left ear. It damaged her nerves. Also that summer, she had probably the worst crisis she'd ever had. She had a full body transfusion of blood. She had her spleen removed. She had her gallbladder removed. And we were told not to leave a room when they life-flighted her to a, to a children's hospital because they didn't think she was going to make it through the night. Myrna was just different. She was on morphine. Daniel was on Motrin. Thank you for sharing. How old were both of your children when they were diagnosed and how did you handle their education at that time? 
Daniel was uh, maybe 12 or 14. What was it? Daniel was, <laughs> Daniel was nine. Nine? Okay. Myrna was 12. And the local doctor that we were going to at the time really didn't know anything about it. And when he found out that they were sickle cell uh, trait, uh, not, not a trait, the doctor even committed to us that he said, oh, I'm going to learn something about this. And he said about training himself and learning more about it so he could handle some of this for us. So Daniel learned about it, but it didn't affect him as badly. So he played sports quite a bit and still was able to survive or, or keep playing as a normal child a lot. Um, and as, as for their education, they went to school every day. Myrna was in advanced classes. Daniel was the type of kid that liked to joke and play. Um, he knew no enemy. I mean, everybody loved him. They just, they went to school every day. They participated. They both were in the band. Daniel played quads. Myrna played saxophone. And during her worst crisis, her freshman year, her, both of her lungs had collapsed. He was on every machine you could ever think of that they could hook you up. And the first football game, she was uh, marching. Well, she couldn't march. She was standing along the side of the field blowing her saxophone. And she told them that she was going to be leader of the saxophone section, which her sophomore year through her senior year she was, and she was assistant drum major. So she even ran track mm. to prove to them because they told her she couldn't and she wanted to show them that she could. She ran track. She ran one competition, and um, she lost her breath, and down she went, and she was so upset uh, because I think what hurt her the most was her coach was black and um, knew she had sickle cell and knew her issue but never walked out on the field to help her. She got herself up came up to the stands, and we left. So she, if you told her no, she was going to prove you wrong. <laughs> I'm just sitting up here smiling like I don't know what, like a chestnut hat. Um, you said that you talked to a doctor uh, at some point, and he recognized that your son had sickle cell. Did you continue to work with that doctor, or you went just to deal with your regular pediatrician? He was a new doctor. I think he was a guest doctor filling in that day at this doc in the box. He was a young doctor, and he opened our eyes and said, now you've got to go to Grady and do some further testing and things. And that's when we went to Grady Hospital. Grady Hospital in the southeast is one of the major hospitals in Atlanta, and it's a major player. And so we went to Grady, and that's when more testing and and more findings were found. And, but he led us to Grady and, and through Children's Hospital. It's where we started going then. Before then, we were going just local doctors and things of this nature. I heard Roberts at the end of Myrna's name. Did she get married? Yes. Um, she got married in 2004. Um, she was able to live out her one of her dreams, as she called it, to have a big wedding. And the guy that she married, his name is Matt, he saw her at one of her crises while they were dating. And um, unfortunately, Brent and I were out of town. We were in Michigan, and we were driving back. 
and she was at, she went through a crisis, and I guess she'd been there uh, that morning, and they couldn't get a hold of us. They were trying to track us down, and we had a Nextel radio, and we hit the Georgia Georgia uh, Georgia state line, and it clicked over. You need to get home. Myrna's in the hospital. So we got back as quick as we could, and he stayed with her that whole time. And we told, um, Britt and I told each other, he's not going anywhere. He is dedicated to our daughter, and he stayed with her the whole time. He stayed with me and Brent and her the whole time at the hospital. Wow. That and just goosebumps down my arms when you say that. Mm-hmm. She had a little girl. Oh. Oh, uh, I'm smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> it is so blessed that she got to experience that. I know that we didn't talk about that, but that is something that I wish that I could have experienced with my daughter. And I am so glad that you got the opportunity to be able to spend that time with her like that, to be able to walk her, walk her down the aisle, and that she has a, uh, you have a grandchild that you can actually, you know, look at and see Myrna in her and continue to love her. And I'm so glad that she got to experience love from you know, uh, is it, did you say his name was Robert, or that was his last name? Yes, that was his last name. His name is Matthew Robert. Yep, Matthews. I'm so glad that she got to experience that love. I, I mean, I'm over here just all teals and, and everything, <laughs> and it's to be able to share that and to be able to know that she experienced, I am just so happy for you. I am just so happy for you. If you guys excuse me for a minute, we need to take an identification break. Hi, this is Ernest Kelly with the Faith Thomas Foundation. You're listening to The Cell on 94.1 FM, WGRN, and WGRN.org worldwide. Listen to us every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. She um, no, you're she had a hard time because we found out through her blood specialist that she was seeing and her... Um, obstetrician that SC patients uh, uh, that carry SC's disease are not supposed to have children found that out after the after she had Olivia and um, Myrna had a hard time because she was in the hospital from from March until May and the baby was supposed to be born in July and she was in there every week she'd come home on the weekend and they said she's just in a lot of crises right now she had preeclampsia, and it finally went into eclampsia, and Olivia was born um, uh, May 26th, uh, Memorial Weekend. What a story. Um, I think just what a blessing for, for her to have been able to have a daughter. Um, how, how old is Olivia now? Olivia is uh, 14. She has wow. <laughs> she has the S trait. She was five years old when Myrna died. Um, Daniel has a little girl. He never oh. knew anything about it. He's not little. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he didn't know anything you guys about her. So blessed. <laughs> uh, she he actually died nine days before his twenty second birthday. And she, his girlfriend was going to tell him then, and she never got the opportunity. And we were blessed enough that 
we were able to adopt her from birth. <gasps> wow. So, yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. I'm ready to start crying. So, <laughs> how was so with um with Daniel's little girl, what has she been tested or does she have the tray or, or anything? Yes. I guess she, I'm just curious yeah. to know about like their children and how Yes, yeah, she has the C trait also. She was born and we walked out of the hospital twenty four hours after she was born. We took her home and adopted her as our daughter. That is so blessed. I mean, blessed. Blessed, blessed. Wow. The uh, last thing that Myrna was able to do in March of 2011, she adopted, her and Matt adopted a little girl from birth uh, and brought her home, I think, a month after she was born. Uh, Myrna stayed in Florida and brought her home. Her name is Layla. She is uh, 10 years old. So you guys can see the life of your children through your grandchildren. That is so blessed. Um, wow. Um, I'm over here crying. Wait a minute. Um, I can't even think. So um, somebody say something. <laughs> I can't even think right now. I'm crying. I'm crying. So, I mean, because for me, you know, my, my, my daughter died at 11, and I constantly wonder, constantly hope, wish, you know, that I could have experienced this when other things are going on, and mine's just ended. But from a parent who's been in the same situation as you guys have been in, and to be able to have, been able to experience having grandchildren in a marriage, I am so happy for you guys. I really am. Um, Tish, do you have another question or something? Somebody say something. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm going to edit this part out. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to give them the raw cut, please. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Denise, could you share with us how you are related to Brent and Debbie? Yes, I'm Denise, and I am Brent's first cousin, and what we are doing is celebrating our 120th Stewart family reunion in Cassopolis, Michigan. We meet each year, and I was asked by the officers to lead this particular celebration. Our last large one was the 100th year, and I was looking for different ways to celebrate and then thinking about um, the ways we could remember the loved ones that have gone on, I was looking through this um, selection of 365 ways to celebrate the year. And when I came to the one about the blood donation, I thought, oh, you know, I, I thought immediately about Britt and Debbie. And I knew some of their story, but you know, it wasn't until I began to talk with them about, you know, sharing their story and uh, being a part of the blood drive did I learn as much as I have even about sickle cell. And how did you end up reaching out to Rosemarie? Uh, Rosemarie and I know each other quite well. I donate blood. I'm a member of First Church, and that's where the drive was usually held, and I... I'm a regular donor. 
And so um, I contacted Rosemarie and said, is there a way that we can connect our families from across the United States, if not across the world, in, the, in donating blood in, mem- in honor and in memory of Myrna and Daniel? And she said, I'll find out. And she's found a way to do it. Rosemarie, steps is the Red Cross taking uh, to celebrate Daniel and Myrna. We are actually going to be hosting a blood drive in memory of Daniel and Myrna Steele Roberts um, on February the 7th. I know I'm kind of stuttering and going through, but every time I hear the story about these young siblings, um, and the challenges, it just sets another platform for me to do something different and go a little higher in my job. I'm passionate about the disease. I am passionate about helping getting those matched donors, and I'm passionate about helping families tell their stories and their journeys as they engage with the American Red Cross to host blood drives and in a way to give back to the family as well as educating other African-Americans um, to donate blood and the importance of us as a culture of people to become blood donors. So yes, we're going to be doing a sleeves up sickle cell blood drive at the American Red Cross on Sunday, February the 7th, 2021 from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. For those of you who are interested in donating, you can go to 1-800, call 1-800-RED-CROSS to actually schedule your appointment, or you can visit redcrossblood.org. Please use sponsor code First Church God Columbus. That's capital F-I-R-S-T, capital C H capital G-O-D, capital C-O-L-S, to schedule your appointment. Now, what we are trying to do to actually um, have the family to get those units that they want, we want you to pledge and then donate. So in order for you to pledge to the 120th Stewart Family Reunion Sleeves Up campaign, and the campaign's going to kick off on Sunday, February the 7th, you want to go to www.sleevesup.redcrossblood.org forward slash in memory of Daniel forward slash Myrna Steele to pledge for your blood donations. And then schedule an appointment to come out and donate because it's you and I that's going to make the difference and prolong the life of those that look like us. And here, and kind of carry some of the same DNA. That's why it's important for us African-American people to become blood donors and to give that pint of blood to help to extend the life of those who have sickle cell disease. Um, our listeners, you can also you log on our Twitter account. Stephanie, what's our Twitter account name again, babe? Faith Thomas, F-D-N. Yep. But uh, we posted the flyers for the drive on February 7th um, in our Twitter account, and it's um, and also on our Facebook page as well um, in the Faith Thomas Foundation on Facebook. So it's both on Twitter and on Facebook. Okay, so we're trying to do everything, and we'll keep promoting it and pushing it. This, this is Denise. May I have Britt and Debbie share with you 
what it was like holding each other together because most couples divorce yes. in situations like this and for how long they've been married. Mm. Oh, well, we'll be married 48 years this year. Wow. And wow. Congratulations. And wow. Thank you. Awesome. And um, Brett and I started off very young. And, again, we don't like to be told no, it won't work. Well, we showed you. That's where the kids got it from. And for me, yeah. it was, he has always been my rock. And when we lost Daniel, it was truly unexpected. I mean, I mean, it came out of the blue. Daniel was expected to come home from the hospital. He never walked out of out of that room. And it was the worst feeling because I was there by myself. And I had to call Brent, and I couldn't even tell him what was going on, that Daniel was coding in the room, and, and I couldn't get there. I don't know where he came from, but he got there so quick. And um, he has always been my rock when it comes to these kids and anything that goes wrong, he's always been there for me trying to find the good thing, telling me the good thing. And that is, that's how I lean on him. And I hope he leans on me that way because I don't know, we've just been together for so long. I don't know what we would do without each other. Understand. Understand. Can I add another point? Um, Daniel was born early. Um, seven months, and he weighed two pounds and 14 ounces. And we were told that uh, he might not make it, of course, and they rushed him to a, uh, from our little town in Michigan to Bronson Hospital in Kalamazoo, where I think it was, what, two months or so that it was touch and go. He was in an incubator and, and a little bitty thing at two pounds, 14 ounces in that year of 1973. It was tough, but he survived. And that was the first, I think, test of our relationship. And through that, we didn't have anybody else. Uh, you know, we have family members, but at that age, you, you really kind of close the gates and just huddle up on your own. And the best thing that happened for us is moving down here away from family where we had to make it on our own. And when our kids were having their, their crisis seized, it really drove us to, to pay attention to our kids. Our kids were everything about us. We really enjoyed them, and to see them going through this. And then when Daniel passed, it just closed in on us, and we just hung on to each other. I can't believe that we've run out of time. So make sure that you tune in to next week's show, Part 2, with Brent and Debbie Steele. Okay, Stewart family. Denise has laid down the gauntlet. The Sleeve Up campaign in memory of Daniel and Myrna runs from February 7th to July 31st, 2001. This is a national event for the 120th Stewart Family Reunion. So get out there, sign up, and make your pledge. Then contact the nearest American Red Cross to make sure your blood donations once again in memory of Daniel and Myrna. Rosemary, what is that link again? Seventh, you want to go to www.sleevesup.org.
www.redcrossblood.org forward slash in memory of Daniel forward slash Myrna Steele. With that being said, he's out. The Faith Thomas Foundation would like to thank you for listening to The Cell. We broadcast on WGRN 94.1 FM every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. You can also stream us live on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. on WGRN 94.1. For more information on the Faith Thomas Foundation, please visit our website, Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is Faith Thomas F. D. N.